Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury, and I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today, whether you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, it is a, a privilege to be a pastor at a time such as this, and this is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. I want to make mention of a few things before we kick off worship. Uh, the first being that there is an online bulletin for our service. You can find it, uh, the link for it in the video description. Uh, it contains our scriptures, prayers, hymns, all that sort of important information. So if that's helpful for you, I encourage you to open it up to have that alongside uh, throughout our worship service. Also today, we're having a drive-in service of Word and Sacrament at 4 o'clock in our parking lot. So that's today, November the 1st, Sunday, at 4 o'clock in our parking lot. We'll be gathering for about 20 to 30 minutes for some scripture reading, prayers, a very brief little homily. And then we're going to be sharing communion together uh, in our cars, as it were. So if you're around, if you live locally, I encourage you to join us this afternoon at 4 o'clock in our parking lot in our church. Uh, there are a number of things that are going on in the life of our church. We continue to send out email, devotionals, uh, ways that you can think about your faith during the week, uh, ways you can be reading scripture. We're putting together live videos every week uh, here in the sanctuary with music and theological reflections. So you can find all of that on our church website or you can find it on our church Facebook page. Uh, but it's all there for you to help learn more about who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. We are in the midst of a sermon series on the politics of Jesus. We're looking at the, the Gospel of Matthew lections during the season up until Christ the King Sunday and kicking off Advent. Uh, so I hope that you've uh, girded your loins, as it were, to hear more about the politics of Jesus uh, here today as we, as we hear Jesus talk about what it means for the humble to be exalted and for the exalted to be humbled. With that, I want to share just a brief story. It was almost exactly four years ago that I woke up. I was still living in Stanton at the time at my first church, and I woke up because it was election day. And so I woke up, and uh, I got in my car, and I drove to my voting place, which was uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church. It was just down the house, uh, hill from the house I lived in. So I drove into the parking lot. There weren't many people there. And so I sort of ambled on in and they gave me my paper instructions and told me to sit over in the corner and I filled it all out. And I, I was thinking about all just the months of vitriol that kind of went into that election in 2016 and just how angry people were and how frightened people were and all that sort of stuff. And so, so I took my vote and I stuck it into the machine and went ding, uh, your vote has been counted. And as soon as I did, I looked up again, cause I was at a seventh day Adventist church and there uh, above the machine was a mural of Jesus. And the mural of Jesus depicted him not sweetly, you know, talking to children or carrying a, a lamb. He was laughing. 
Jesus was laughing hysterically in the image. And that has sort of been indelible in my mind ever since because it was, to me, very indicative of, of, of how God is feeling about us when we think we know what we're doing. There's an important thing to remember that uh, some of Jesus' final earthly words are, Lord, forgive them, for they have no idea what they're doing. Today, as we are getting very, very close to a presidential election, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is Lord no matter what. And that is truly, truly good news, even if it means that Jesus laughs at us when we forget. So with that, I'd like to encourage you to find a comfortable posture uh, and to be silent for just a moment as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, foolish we are believing that we can rule ourselves by picking different people to rule over us. That desire is part of who we are, that is, we are sinners. Help us then not to think it is more significant than it is, but also give us and those in the places of power enough wisdom to acknowledge our faults and our failures. Help us, Lord, to even laugh at ourselves, for without humor our lives cannot be humane. We desire to dominate and are thus dominated. So free us, Lord. Otherwise, we perish. And now, Lord, each of us will lift up to you our, our own joys, our own concerns, whether silently or spoken aloud this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 23rd chapter, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. A reading from Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. 
They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Our hymn today is number 369 in the United Methodist Hymnal. This is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Uh, so join me and Glory Baltimore over uh, on the drums and the piano as we play and sing together Blessed Assurance.
the greatest among you will be your servant, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus wasn't a very good politician. At least he didn't seem to understand that there are some things you don't do or say if you want to create more followers and more supporters. Perhaps things would have been easier for the Lord had he been a little more careful with his words or if he had hired the right campaign manager or at the very least, if he had had a better online social media presence. But speaking directly without equivocation seemed to be Jesus's favorite thing to do. You know, at times he told the crowds, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to hate your mother and your brother and your father and your sister. Other times he looked at the crowds and he says, hey, if you want to be part of this thing called the kingdom of God, you've got to go the extra mile. You have to turn the other cheek. You've got to even pray for your enemies. But now Jesus sets his sights on the opposition. Listen. You see all those people in the positions of power, Jesus seems to say, the religious elites and the judges and all the leaders, they sit in places of authority. So you can listen to them all you want, but don't you dare do what they do. I mean, look, look at how they place undue burdens on the last, the least, the lost, and the little, and the dead, while they themselves refuse to lift up even one finger. All they care about is being seen by others. It's why they dress the way they do. It's why they smile when they do the things they do. Have you ever noticed that when they're in the public, they always pick the places of honor for themselves? Don't be like them. You already have one teacher. Don't don't bow down to worship those who desire your allegiance because you already have a Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. And all who want to exalt themselves, they're going to be brought low. And those who are already down at the bottom, they're going to be exalted. That Jesus could speak so radically and truthfully to the powers that be is a profound indication that he was not hoping to win over the undecideds in Jerusalem. Jesus, our Lord, held offices of power from the people called Israel. He was prophet, priest, and king. And the notable thing about prophets and priests and kings is that no one becomes those things by winning an election or by getting enough people on their side or by convincing people that they themselves are the lesser of two evils. The authority from which Jesus speaks in this passage, an authority that those around him were constantly questioning, it comes simply from being who Jesus is, not from climbing up all the different rungs on all the political ladders. You know, if Jesus sounds like anything here in this passage from Matthew, he sounds kind of like a revolutionary, calling out the places of power for abusing their power. Except, rather than taking the traditional route of revolutionary revolts by equipping the masses to overthrow their overlords, he puts everyone in their place, from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top. And this This is who Jesus is. He is truth, and he speaks truth. And the uncomfortable truth from truth is this. In the end, no one will be more humbled than Jesus. No one will be more exalted than Jesus. So we can take the Lord's words, and we can string them around however we want to, and we can knock people down for being too high, or we can lift up those who have been too low. But ultimately, these words, 
They're not about us. They're about Jesus. Jesus is the greatest among us, having been humbled by our rejection of him, only to be then exalted in the resurrection. And this, this is how our Lord rules, not from the politics of a parliament, not from overtures in an oval office, but our Lord rules from a cross. Jesus, unlike us, he never had the benefit of reading how to win friends and influence people. He didn't take classes at the local junior college on proper public speaking. He didn't submit an op-ed to the Jerusalem Times about the need for new leadership. Jesus is just different. He doesn't work in the art of persuasive discourse, nor does he roll out all the relevant statistics about policy initiatives. He doesn't even rely on simple and easily explainable stories to demonstrate why he should be the Messiah. Instead, Jesus is who he is. He is who he is, and he trusts that those in the know will see him and hear him because he is the truth made flesh. Oddly enough, compared with how we so often assume power is supposed to work in this world, Jesus never actually tells the crowds what they or what we want to hear. Instead of promising to defeat all of our enemies, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Instead of offering us health and wealth, Jesus tells us that if we lose our lives, we will gain them. Instead of pointing to a day off in the distant future when all things will finally be fixed, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is already here in him. This week sees yet another presidential election. When all is said and done, we as a country will have spent more than $10 billion during this particular election cycle. That's billion with a B, which is a 50% increase over the election four years ago. And there is no sign that our political spending and politicking will be slowing down anytime soon. And with all that money, all that time, all that focus, we've been told again and again that this is the most important election in history. It's all we can see and read on Twitter and Facebook. It's all the talking heads we'll talk about on TV. And we've even been told to use those kinds of words to ensure that as many people as possible will head to the polls this week because, after all, this is the most important election in history. It's notable that, strangely enough, every election seems to be the most important election in history. This is an absolute truth in the United States. It's one we repeat to ourselves every two years, every four years. And when the scores of people gather at their voting locations this week and all the early votes are tallied up, we will be told that this is the United States at its best. Elections remind us that we are in charge, that we are responsible, that we have our destinies in our hands. And yet for Christians, we cannot forget that the only democratic moment in the entirety of the Gospels is when the people choose Barabbas instead of Jesus which kind of rubs us the wrong way because all of us have been taught from infancy that voting is the heart of what it means to be who we are in this country. I mean, at my last church that I served, we had a preschool, and voting was part of the educational curriculum. It's something we taught the students when they were two and three and four years old. Picking and choosing leaders is what makes our democracy democratic. And for as much as that's true, it overlooks how frighteningly coercive voting can be. Lest we forget, democratic voting makes it possible for 
of people to tell the other 49.9% of people what to do. Now, that's not to say that democracy is inherently evil or bad or we should get rid of it. I, I am profoundly grateful to be a Christian in this country where my Christian identity is not persecuted simply because I am myself. But it is worth taking the time to reflect on how willing we are as Christians to worship at the altar of democracy when it results in what we've seen the last few months, frankly, the last few years, and more likely than not, we'll continue to see over the next few months and the next few years. Now, of course, lest we walk away from the service thinking it has more to do with politics than with faith, let me be very, 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 very clear about this. It is all too easy to blame politicians for the coercive nature of our politics, for the increasing vitriolic behavior we feel toward those of different political persuasions. But the problem is far deeper and widespread than our politicians. The problem, quite simply, is us. Because we get the politicians we deserve. They are us, and we are them. Which brings us back to Jesus. Because we did not elect Jesus to become our leader. We did not elect Jesus to be the second person of the Trinity. We did not elect Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was never a time when the the church got its act together to take a majority vote about whether or not there should be a group of people called church who gather to worship Jesus. No, in the beginning, when we decided, when we had to pick new leaders in the church, that is during the book of Acts, the way we decided who should be in charge was by the casting of lots, by throwing a pair of dice. And sure, today, the church votes on all sorts of things. But when we do make decisions, we tend to use methodology for deciding a future based on a governmental system more than from the revealed word of God in the strange new world of the Bible. Because Jesus... Jesus' authority, the power from which he was able to speak truth to power, it comes not from the people, but from God. Elections will always be with us, but they are no substitute for the hard hard work of the church. We are a people constituted and bound by the Lord who is and speaks truth. And at her very best, the church is a place for truth. Part of the truth we affirm as the church, much to the chagrin of just about everybody, is that Jesus will still be Lord no matter who is elected this week. Jesus still reigns from the right hand of God, regardless of who sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. Jesus is still Lord of the living and the dead, which includes people who identify as red, blue, and purple. Another part of the truth we affirm in the church, much to the chagrin of just about everyone, is that the greatest among us is our servant. That those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we can confess all of that as good news because it means the ways of the world are not the ways of God. In a world that is drunk on meritocracy and earning and deserving, the Lord offers us an alternative politic because the kingdom of God is not run on earning and deserving. The kingdom of God is run on grace and mercy. And in the end, that's what Jesus's election is all about. It's not us choosing him. It's the fact that he chose us. That God in Christ came to dwell among us, to be in the muck and the mire of life in spite of our earnings and deservings. Jesus is Lord, and we are not. 
Lord, importantly, is not a democratic title. We confess Jesus as Lord because he is the one to whom we owe our fullest and our truest allegiance. And it's this, the Lordship of Christ that is a fundamental challenge to the status quo because the Lordship of Christ means that our assumptions about power and prestige, they're all messed up. To confess Jesus as our Lord is to reckon with a world of our own design rather than the kingdom wrought on earth in the incarnation. To confess Jesus as Lord compels us to open our eyes and our ears to the very people we would otherwise ignore. And all of that is, in fact, good news. It is good news because the most important election in history isn't happening this week. It already happened a long time ago. We didn't elect Jesus. He elected us. Thanks be to God. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, infuse our lives with the joy of your Spirit. We know only as we are known, so illumine our lives with knowledge of you, that we may see that our endings are in fact beginnings. Wrench our closings open so that we will not fear suffering, and so learn that it is only through suffering that you make us your people in the world. So compel us, make us free, that we might manifest the joy of friendship with you and with one another this day and every day. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together, even in these strange times and in these strange ways. God has proclaimed God's strange and confounding and bewildering word to us. And now we, the people of God, respond to what God has said to us. We do so by giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts for others and for the Lord, but also with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Stewardship is part of discipleship. Uh, we, we do this thing, this, this giving of ourselves, because that's God's nature. God's nature is to give of God's self to us. It's what God does in Christ for us. And so as Christians, as his people in the world today, that is how we live. So I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to the Lord through Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in our video description. Or you can write a check and send it through the mail to the church. Or if you live locally... You can bring it. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. Or you can join us today at 4 o'clock in our parking lot. We'll be having an offering as part of our uh, drive-in service of word and sacrament. Giving is who we are, and we give because God first gives to us. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to uh, use the words of the Apostles' Creed and affirm your faith with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
one final thing. I'd like to encourage you this week, and in particular this week, to spend time every day in prayer. Uh, to, to set aside time, whether it's in the morning or the evening, uh, it doesn't matter when, but set aside time for silent prayer and reflection and to pray a very, very simple prayer. Lord, let thy will be done. Not, not my will be done, not Taylor's will be done. Let thy will be done. Because in the end, that's the truest and the most faithful prayer we can ever offer. So with that, I'd like to now offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death, of resurrection, help you to see, know, believe, and remember that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he elected us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again, some of you this afternoon in our parking lot for our drive-in service of Word and Sacrament, or otherwise next Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship to hear more about the politics of Jesus. Go in peace, be well, amen, amen, and amen. By the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry, all who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. I who made the stars of night, I will make the darkness bright, who will bear my light to them, whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord, is it I? speak my word to them. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Oh, is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will set a feast for them my hand will sing finest bread I will provide till their hearts be satisfied I will give my life to them whom shall I send